Well, today uh, we're going to continue a series we started last Sunday. We began a series entitled The Million Dollar Question, and uh, let's just kind of dive into our scripture this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 30, uh, the Bible gives us just a great, uh, a great truth from scripture. The Bible says, today I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses, and now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life. Y'all say, choose life. Oh, that you would choose life that you and your descendants might live. And look at verse 20. He says, and you can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying Him, and committing yourself firmly to Him, because this is the key to your life. Right? The key to life is that we got to choose life. And the Bible says the way that we choose life is that we choose to love and obey God. Right? We allow Jesus Christ to be the central theme of who we are and how we live. And every day we have choices to make. Amen? Let's look at the first thought on your outline. We kind of just going to revisit a couple thoughts today, and then we're going to kind of move where we're going together this morning. But uh, we said that the quality of your life, based on Deuteronomy 30, the quality of your life is determined by the quality of the decisions you make, and that your decisions not only affect your life, but it also affects your children and your grandchildren, right? And so we recognized last week that life and death are before us, blessing and curses, and we get to choose, right? And we all recognize, everybody in this room knows knows that the decisions I make determine the quality of my life, right? If I make good choices, usually good things will happen. And when I make poor choices or bad choices, usually bad things will usually not to, not be, be not too far behind uh, on the tail of those decisions that I've made. And we also recognize, according to Scripture, that our decisions not only affect us, but it affects our children and our grandchildren, right? God says, choose life so that you and your descendants may live. And last week, we just kind of did a little uh, spiritual inventory. We kind of thought about our lives. And, and I said, as you think about your childhood, uh, most of us think back over our childhood, and, and either you have, maybe you have some wonderful feelings, and you think, man, I'm so grateful that my mom and dad made some good choices, or maybe you look back over your childhood, and you're like, man, I wish my mom and dad would have made better choices, right? Because we understand that choices and decisions that we make not only affect us, but it affects our children and our grandchildren. I've also learned that the older you get, the more you begin to think about not just yourself, but you actually begin to think about the people that are following you, right? You begin to think about your children, grandchildren, and those people that are coming behind you. And here's something interesting. How many, uh, how many single people we got in the house? Very good. How many people we have here that have no children? Very good, some of that same crowd. All right, well, here's the good news. Even if you're not married and even if you don't have kids today, your choices now will affect your children to come. Amen. See, what's crazy is what you do when you're 16, when you're in high school, affects your children and your grandchildren even though they've not yet been born. Because that's the power of a decision. That's the power of life and death. And all of us can look at our lives, and we can all look back over our lives, and we can all say without a shadow of a doubt, I wish I hadn't made that decision at 16. I wish I hadn't made that decision at 18. I wish I hadn't made that decision at 21. Because now, maybe 10, 15, 20 years later, maybe 30, 40 years later, you're still dealing with the repercussions of a decision you made when you were a teenager. Because death and life, right? are in the choices and the decisions that we make. 
So we said, here's the problem. The problem is, is that unfortunately we are making the wrong decisions. As, as a nation, uh, as a country, as a humanity, as people in general, we have a problem, and that problem is that we tend to make the wrong decisions, and I believe we're making the wrong decisions because we're asking the wrong questions, right? We're making the wrong decisions because we're asking the wrong questions. If you ask the wrong question, you're always going to get the wrong answer. Now, we looked at this last week, Albert Einstein, right? Let's look at this beautiful picture there. Isn't he gorgeous? Albert Einstein said this. He said, if I had an hour to solve a problem, my life depended on the solution. I would spend the first 55 minutes discovering what is the proper question to ask. And when I ask the proper question, I will get the right answer and solve the problem in five minutes, right? So Albert Einstein, one of the smartest guys to ever lived, recognized this. He recognized that the key to having the right answer is I got to make sure I'm asking the right question. And so I asked you last week, I said, wouldn't it be great? If there was one question that you could ask in every circumstance, in every situation that could help you make the right decision every single time. How many of you think that's a pretty awesome thing? If you were here last week, you already know what that question is. But before we get there, let me give you some statistics. We looked at them last week real quick. I'm going to throw them on the screen. We looked at these statistics last week, and we said these statistics prove that as a nation we have a problem. And apparently we're making some poor decisions, right? 13 seconds, everybody, somebody gets a divorce, 11 million children living in single-parent homes, uh, over $16,000 worth of credit card debt. Most Americans don't have any kind of savings. Uh, we recognize 20 million people are battling an addiction of some kind, over 100 people every day, every 15 minutes, somebody dies from a drug or alcohol overdose. And we, we just kind of categorize these three things into three areas. We said we, we have a problem in the area of relationships, and we have a problem in the area of finances, and we have the problem in the area of personal decision makings. We called them unhealthy habits, right? And so we said last Sunday that we wanted to take the next few weeks and kind of talk through those three areas and ask the million-dollar question. So let's look at the million-dollar question. So here it is. The million-dollar question is this. What is the wise thing to do? Right? Not what do I want to do, not what's the most fun to do, not what's the cheapest thing to do, not what's the easiest thing to do, not what's the most convenient thing to do, not what's the most satisfying thing to do, but what is the wise thing to do. And we said, how do I decide what the wise thing to do? Well, I base it on two things. Based on what I know to be true, right? Based on what I know to be true and what God says, which is truth, what is the wise thing to do? To do. So when I'm making decisions, I can ask one question. The million dollar question is, what is the wise thing to do? And how do I come to that conclusion? I come to that conclusion by measuring two things. Based upon what I know to be true, and based upon what God says, which is truth, what is the wise thing to do? Because what happens with that little question is, it does a couple things. Number one, uh, it invites us to get involved. Because Christianity is not about checking your brain at the door. Right? Christianity is about fully using everything God has given you for His glory. And God wants you to get engaged, right? God does not want you to be a robot that just walks around, you know, uh, doing whatever it is He says you ought to do. God actually wants you to engage in the process and make wise decisions because you're willing to do your homework. Right? How many of you realize that a lot of times we make poor decisions because we don't take the time to get all the information? We just don't get all the information. We don't, we don't find out what we can know. There's a lot of truth out there. And so, based on what I know to be true and based on what God says to be true, what is the wise thing to do? So, what I know gives me information. What God says give me, gives me revelation. 
right? And we said if your information and the revelation conflict one another, God's Word trumps your opinion. <laughs> and it trumps your information because we're really not looking for your opinion, we're looking for accurate information. And so based on what I know and based on what God says, I can make a wise decision. What is the wise thing to do? And so today, we're going to kind of use that question and we're going to talk about the issue of relationships. Because we can all agree there are some relationship issues in our world today. And guess what? Not just in our world, there are relationship issues in our lives. Right? Everybody in here has had relationship issues, right? Ain't that a great way of saying we have messed up relationships, right? We have relationship issues, and we want to figure out what is the wise thing to do in order to have healthy, godly relationships. So Proverbs, let's look at our scripture, 1724, says, sensible people keep their eyes glued on wisdom. They keep their eyes glued on wisdom. What is the wise thing to do? And why this is important is because when you ask this question, what is the wise thing to do, based on what I know to be true and based on what God says, which is truth, what is the wise thing to do? You know what this question does? It removes your emotions. It removes your emotions. Because how many of you understand that many times we make the wrong decision because we make an emotional-based decision? This is what I feel. Man, I'm so passionate about this. This is what i got to do. I'm just, I mean, all of a sudden I got all these feelings, right? And if we're not careful, we will make emotion-based decisions that will undermine the purpose and the plan of God for our lives, and we'll find ourselves having to dig ourselves out of a hole because, boy, I just, it just felt good when I was sitting in that car, even though I really couldn't pay for it. But I felt so cool, right? I just felt so good. Right? That relationship just felt good, even though it was taking me down a road of destruction. It just felt so good. Right? That new dress, that new gun, that new thing, it just, it just it felt so good when I held it in my hands. I just knew I needed it. So I got the credit card out and bought it because it felt so good. Right? So let's talk a little bit today. We've got to keep our eyes glued on wisdom. So what is the wise thing to do about relationships, right? So here's the question. What do we know, right? What do we know? What does God say? Look at that next screen. What do we know? What does God say about relationships? I'm going to give you four truths about relationships, four things that we know about relationships. Number one, look at this. The first thing we all know about relationships, we know this to be true based on our past experience and the lives that we lived. We all know that our greatest joys and our greatest sorrows are connected to relationships. Your greatest joys and your greatest sorrows are connected to relationships. Hands down, almost every time, almost all the time, your greatest joys and your greatest sorrows are always connected to relationships. Why? Because we were created for relationships, and relationships have the power and the potential to bring you the greatest joy or to bring you the greatest sorrow, right? We all know that to be true. When you think about your greatest sorrows in life— you think about people. You think about circumstances and betrayals and rejections and poor decisions and poor choices. Maybe you think about the loss of a loved one, but you think about people. 
For me, I think of some of my greatest joys, they include God. How many of you know God's people? <laughs> That's a relationship. Many of my greatest joys in life are connected to God, connected to a God relationship, right? Because our greatest joys, our greatest sorrows are nearly all the time connected to relationships, right? Some of your greatest joys, right? Maybe it was when you first held your baby in your arms for the first time, right? Maybe it was when they moved out to college. But your greatest joys, right, your greatest joys in life are always connected to people. For you young people that are in here today, it's when you got that boyfriend or that girlfriend and you were so excited and you were so happy and that was your greatest joy until six months later they broke up with you and then that same person that brought you the greatest joy now brought you the greatest sorrow you've ever experienced in your life. Because we know that to be true. Relationships bring us the greatest joy and relationships bring us the greatest sorrow. So, based on what we know, we know that to be true. Now, what does God say? Well, God says it's painful to be the parent of a fool. Well, that's kind of clear. <laughs> and there is no joy for the father of a rebel. Now, let me just tell you what you can do with that verse. You can remove the word parent and you can put friend. It is painful to be the friend of a fool. You can use the word spouse. It is painful to be the spouse of a fool. Right? You can use the word child. It is, it is painful to be the child of a fool. You, you can use the word employee. It is painful to be the employee of a fool. You can use the word employer. It's painful to be the employer of a fool. You can use the word best friend. It's painful to be the best friend of a fool. You can insert any relationship you think of in that point, and the reality is simply this. God confirms what we already know. Relationships bring the greatest sorrows, but they also bring the greatest joys, right? Third John, chapter 1, verse 4, John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth, right? I have no greater joy than to hear that my spouse is doing what is right, to hear that my children are doing what is right, to hear that my friends are doing what is right. You want to know what makes Christian people happy? That the people they love make good choices and good decisions and walk in truth. There's no greater joy than that, right? There's no greater joy. So what do we know about relationships, right? We know that relationships have the potential. They bring us our greatest joys and they bring us our greatest sorrows. Look at the second thing I want you to see that we know about relationships. We know that our decision-making process is dramatically affected by our relationships. Our decision-making process is dramatically affected by our relationships. The only thing that affects our decision-making process more than our emotions are the people that we're in relationship with. Relationships affect your decision-making process. Right? Proverbs says, uh, walk with the wise and become wise, associate with fools and get in trouble. <laughs> right? We, we know that to be true. We know that our relationships affect our decision-making process, and this is how we know it. Uh, when I talk to somebody that's in addiction, I'm, I'm going to just say 95% of the time I say, how in the world did you, did you, get, did you get addicted? How, how did you start at 13 years old doing dope? How did you become an addict by the time you were 16? And 95% of the time I hear the same, same answer. They say something very similar to this. Well, I started hanging out with the wrong people. How'd you go from being happily married to being divorced? Well, I started hanging out with the wrong people. How'd you go from having healthy, godly relationships at church to now being out in the world engulfed in sin? Well, I started hanging out with the wrong people. 
I was just looking through the Bible, and I, I don't mean any disrespect to all you ladies in the house, but I'm just telling you, women in the Bible give you all a bad name. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking about Adam and Eve. Man, you talk about a relationship that ended badly, right? Eve and Adam's relationship caused him, it affected his decision-making process. What about Abraham and Sarah? You folks that don't know your Bible, you need to go and read that story. What about Samson and Delilah? You, got, you ladies have got to help the women out. I mean, come on. Now, the reality is simply this. We know that's true. We know that if we were in wrong relationships, that the relationships that we are and the voices of the people that you are in relationship with, they affect your decision-making process more than anything else on the planet. And God confirms it. He says, if you hang out with wise people, you get wise. If you hang out with fools, you get in trouble. And we all can say, amen, we know that to be true. The third relationship truth, I want you to see this. The third thing we know about relationships, and you may not always connect the dots on this one, but we know this is true. We know that who we are going to be tomorrow is determined by our relationships today. We know that who we're going to be tomorrow is determined by our relationships today. Very few things shape your future like the people you associate with. The relationships of today shape you into becoming the person you're going to be tomorrow. In the business world, the business world will tell you this. They'll say that you can dictate, you can, you can predict your future. In five years, you're going to be the result of two things. The business world says you're going to be the result of the books you read and the people you associate with. And unfortunately, that's exactly true. Because the books you read talks about information, the people you associate talks about relationships, and those two things affect your decision-making process as much as anything else on the planet. And the reality is today is that if I hang out with the wrong people today, I'm going to end up in the wrong place tomorrow with the wrong future that I never really desired. It goes back to the, to the drug addict who said, how did you become a drug addict? Well, I started hanging out with the wrong people. And who I associate with today determines who I'm going to be tomorrow. Why are you saying this, Pastor Keith? Because relationships matter. Relationships matter. And if we're going to do the wise thing, we've got to understand the facts. We've got to understand the information. We've got to know what do we really know. See, because when I say that, everyone, nobody in here says, no, that's not true, Pastor Keith. That is not true, not true, not true, not at all. <laughs> Everybody says, that's true. You're exactly right. The people you hang out with determine where you're going to be. They affect your future. They affect your tomorrow. They affect who you are and how you live. We all know that to be true. So why is it that we keep making poor, poor relationship decisions? Because we ignore the truth. We ask the wrong questions. Right? What do I want? That's the wrong question. Who do I like? That's the wrong question. What is the wise thing to do? That's the right question. See, God says this is iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens so a friend sharpens the countenance of his friend. Right? The people you hang out today will shape you and determine your tomorrow. You will be shaped today by the people you associate with. You will be shaped as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. You are being shaped today to determine your tomorrow by the relationships you're now in. The Scripture in 1 Corinthians says this, do not be deceived. 
Evil company corrupts good habits. The word company can literally uh, be, be changed with companionship. Evil people corrupt good habits. See, you, you're deceiving yourself if you think you can run around with the wrong people and still do the right thing. It won't happen. Oh, it won't happen to me, Pastor Keith. You are deceived. You are deceived. And if you'll step back and be honest, let's just do this. Let's just look back on your past and see how well you managed wrong relationships. Because you will, without a doubt, be able to say, yep, that evil company corrupted my good habits. Oh, it won't happen to me. You're deceived. You're deceived because you're asking the wrong questions. Is this a fun person to hang out with? Does this make me happy? Does this give me instant gratification and satisfaction? Because if you ask those questions, you're going to end up in a heap of trouble. Because sin has pleasure for a season, the Bible says, and then it brings death. It always starts out fun. Nobody goes to hell, right? Nobody goes to hell because they intended to go to hell. People go to hell because they decided to have fun. But fun didn't end up being fun. Fun ended up being prison. It became a bondage. And that's what happens in our lives. Relationships matter. Look at that last thing. I want you to see this. Number four. This is good. We know that healthy relationships don't stay healthy without intentional effort. Healthy relationships don't stay healthy without intentional effort. Well, Pastor Keith, how do we know that to be true? Because every 13 seconds somebody gets a divorce. I mean, no, people don't get married so they can get a divorce. People get married because they love each other. People get married because they want to spend the rest of their lives together. People get married because they're happy in those relationships. People get married because they love this person. They enjoy being with this person. They're excited about spending time with this person. So how come half of all marriages end in divorce? How come every 13 seconds somebody's getting a divorce in America? Because healthy things don't stay healthy without intentional effort. And if you don't believe me, just look at your body. Remember when you were 18. And then look down, right? Healthy things don't stay healthy. When you're 18, right, you think, I'm always going to look like this. I'm always going to feel like this. I'm always going to be like this until you turn 40. <laughs> right? Because healthy things don't stay healthy without intentional effort. I've been pastoring just a couple years, and I had a, a lady come to me later in our church. Her husband never came to church with her, but she came to our church faithfully. One Sunday, she came to church in tears. Kelly and I met with her and said, what's wrong? She said, me and my husband married for 27 years. Last night, he came in, told me he didn't love me anymore, and he wanted a divorce, and he's moving out today. 27 years. 27 years. And I don't love you anymore, and I want to start over, and See, healthy things don't stay healthy without intentional effort. Friendships, dating relationships, marriages, working relationships, church relationships, right? You just can't come to church every Sunday and wave at people across the sanctuary and expect to have healthy, godly relationships with people. It don't work. See, the reason, I'm just going to throw this out, I believe one of the reasons many people do not stick in church, do not connect deeply enough to become lifers, right? We need some lifers in church. 
hey, I'm here for life. <laughs> I'm a lifer. Right? The reason that doesn't happen many times is because people never connect deep enough to cultivate healthy relationships, and then they stop cultivating healthy relationships, and when you stop investing in something that is today healthy, tomorrow it won't be. Let me give you some scripture. Galatians chapter 5. This is just a great word from, from the Apostle Paul writing to the Galatian believers. He says, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbors yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another... Look at this statement, watch out, beware of destroying one another, because that's what happens. Right? He says the law is well to love each other, right? We ought to love one another. He says, but you have to beware, you have to be on guard, because if you're biting and devouring one another, you're going to ultimately destroy one another. And isn't that what happens in relationships? Isn't that what happens in marriages? Isn't that what happens on the job? Isn't that what happens in the church? We go from loving one another to biting and criticizing one another until we ultimately devour the relationship where there's nothing left. That's how you go from being married for 27 years and all of a sudden I don't love you anymore, I want a divorce. Somewhere along the line we stopped investing and we started devouring one another. And the reality is, is if we're not careful, all of us will do that. That is the natural bent of our carnal flesh. Let's look at the rest of this scripture. I want you to see this. He says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. So the Apostle Paul says, hey guys, you're supposed to love each other, but if you're not careful, you'll devour one another. And here's how you're going to remedy that. You're going to have to be on purpose about allowing the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you in every arena, specifically in the area of your relationships. He says, and then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, right? There's this constant battle always raging in us. See, because the flesh wants to be selfish and the Spirit wants to be selfless. The flesh wants to be greedy and the Spirit wants to be generous. The self thinks all about itself, and the spirit actually thinks about other people. And so there is this constant battle that is fighting with us. And look at this last statement. He says, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Now, he doesn't say you're not able to carry out good intentions. You're just not free to carry out good intentions. What does he mean by that? He says there will never be a time in your life when there won't be a conflict. You never outgrow your flesh, even though you should crucify it every day. It's always still there. There's still a sin nature that lurks inside the heart of every Christian. And we need to crucify it, and we need to put it to death every single day. He says, but you'll never be free of that. So guess what happens? If you're going to fulfill good intentions, you're going to have to be intentional about good intentions. You're going to have to be led by the Holy Spirit. You're going, to have to, you're going to have to be on purpose about investing, right? If you're going to have healthy relationships, then you're going to have to be intentional about investing in healthy relationships. Because if you're not intentional, then your good intentions will never happen. Because your flesh will always get in the way. Well, Pastor Keith, I don't have any flesh. Let's pray for you after church because you are really deceived. We all got it, guys. And the flesh lusts against the Spirit, wars against the Spirit, and the Spirit wars against the flesh. So we're never free of conflict. There's always conflict. There's always conflict. So the only way I'm going to love my neighbor as myself is I have to be intentional about the good intentions that God wants to work and do in 
my life. Healthy relationships don't stay healthy without intentional effort. We all know that, and God confirms it over and over in His Word. I, I want to give you some closing thoughts here real quick. So based on what we know and what God says, what is the wise thing to do about relationships? I'm going to give you four things. We talked about four areas. I'm going to give you four things, just four little takeaway things. Number one, when you pick new relationships, you need to pick new relationships slowly and purposely. Slowly and purposely, right? Because relationships determine your greatest joy and your greatest sorrow. Relationships determine your decision-making process. And relationships determine your future. So when I'm about to enter into a new relationship with somebody, whether that's a friendship, whether that's a dating relationship, whether that's a marriage relationship, whether it's a work relationship, I need to be really careful. I need to go slow, and I need to be on purpose. I need to go slow, and I need to be on purpose. I love it when somebody tells me they're single, and they're starting to date, and they say, they tell me they're dating somebody new, and I say, well, are they a Christian? I love this answer. They say, well, they go to church. I just want to laugh and slap my knee and say, tell me something else funny. That's the funniest thing I've heard all day. I didn't ask you if they went to church. I said, are they a Christian? Are they living their life on purpose for Jesus Christ? Is their life bearing the fruit of Jesus Christ? Not on Sunday, on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, on Saturday, on Sunday, on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, on Saturday. Because if they're not living for Jesus throughout the week, going to church is going to make you miserable. You're going to get married to somebody that doesn't love Jesus, and they're going to hate you, and they're going to hate your life, and you're going to be miserable until Jesus comes back. Because then I'm going to tell you don't divorce them, because divorce is sin. Ain't that great? <laughs> Decisions matter, guys. So when you pick a new relationships... You better go slow. You better ask some questions. Find out a little bit about them. Be, be together long enough to get in an argument. See how they act when they lose their temper. Right? Oh, well, Pastor Keith, we love each other too much. We'll never, we'll never fight. Just hold on, baby. Hold on. Hold on. Pick new relationships slowly. And purposely have a biblical standard right have a standard have a personal standard and then have a biblical standard hey there's just some things I'm looking for in a relationship whether it be a friendship whether it be a dating relationship whether it be a marriage relationship here are some things personally I'm looking for and here's some things that God says need to be in those relationships so if I'm gonna pick a new relationship I need to go slow and I need to be on purpose the second thing look at it I need to break off ungodly relationships what is the wise thing to do? The wise thing to do, if my relationships determine my joy and my sorrow, if my relationships determine my decision-making process, if my relationships determine my future, then if I'm in ungodly relationships, I need to break them off. That's the wise thing to do. It ain't easy. It's really hard. Let me just tell you how to do it real simple. This is how you say, hey, I just want to let you know I might have to break off our relationship because we're not good together. Now that can be a friendship, that can be a day. If you're married, if you're married, it's not that easy, okay? So stay married, we'll get you some counseling. But if you're in a relationship that can be broken off, then break it off. If it's an ungodly relationship, if it's taking you down a road, if it's leading you down a path, if you recognize what I shout out, and you know it right now, I mean, you already know right now what relationships in your life are ungodly, and you need to go home today and you need to break them off. Hey, I love you. I still love you. You're still my friend. But we just can't be in a relationship together because our relationship is not healthy. 
And it's not all your fault. Hey, I got, I'm, I'm responsible. Relationship takes two people. But I've got to get my life where it needs to be with God. Because relationships matter, guys. The third thing I want you to see, just a real practical takeaway, is what's the wise thing to do? We need to evaluate all of our relationships. Once we break off the ungodly relationships, we need to evaluate all remaining relationships. We need to take a relationship assessment, right? Who am I in relationship with? I'm not talking about being friendly. We can be friendly to everybody, but you can't be friends with everybody. So who am I really in relationship with? I need to evaluate. I need to take a biblical, honest assessment of my relationships. And then the last thing, I want you to see it's real practical. I need to invest in and pray for lasting relationships. Right? My marriage relationship, I need to invest in that. I need to pray for those relationships. I need to ask God's wisdom and grace and favor over us. I need to ask His blessing upon those things. And I need to invest in those relationships, friendships, uh, dating relationships, marriage relationships, whatever season you might be in. If, if it's a lasting relationship, a relationship that should last, invest in. Let me close with this. I'm just going to share a little personal story, me and Kelly. Kelly, about a, Kelly and I, about a year and a half ago, we recognized that our family dynamic was changing. Uh, Jessica and Ian were in the process of getting engaged, and Samantha was running in that direction, and Levi was going to be a senior this year. He's a senior this year. And so looking ahead about a year and a half ago, we recognized, hey, we've been married for 27 years, and for the last 25 years, we've been parents. And for the last 25 years, our marriage relationship has revolved around our kids. And every parent in here knows that's true. Your marriage relationship begins to revolve around your kids. And so we began to recognize, hey, our kids are about to leave. Jessica's about to get married. Samantha's moving in that direction. Levi's got another year of high school. And this is what we said. We had a good marriage. We had a good relationship. We said, we've got to step up our game. We've got to begin to invest extra in our relationship because one day we're going to be standing here looking at each other and we, we, we don't want to say, who are you? We want to say, I love you more now than I've ever loved you before. And I'm more excited about being married to you today than I was 27 years ago. And so a year and a half ago, we kind of began that journey, and we said, okay, we're going to find some things. We're going to have to just invest. We're going to do some different stuff. And, and I'm just going to tell you, man, we are loving it. Jessica and Ian have been married. This next month will be a year. Samantha got married in May. Levi graduates high school in May of next year, and we're like, come on, graduation. We are loving. And you know what we're loving? We're not loving the fact that our kids are moving out. We love our kids. We, we enjoy spending, we, we'd spend every day with them if we could. But what we're excited about is the fact that we've invested extra in our marriage. And we're enjoying the fruit of that. We're enjoying being together like we've never enjoyed being together before. We're, we're, having, we're doing hobbies together, things we've never done before. And we're loving it. And we're nothing special. We just, we just grabbed hold of this stuff that I'm teaching you today. And we said, you know what? Healthy things don't stay healthy, so we got to invest in them. Because in another 10 years, in another 27 years, another 50 years, I want to be happily married and be excited every day to go home to my wife. And that only happens, not just in marriage, but in every relationship. That only happens when we are on purpose to invest and pray for those relationships. So I want us just to bow our heads this morning. 
I just want to pray for you today. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. I'm just going to tell you the most important relationship on the planet is Jesus Christ. If Jesus is not Lord of your life, I'm just going to make a very bold statement. You are incapable of having a godly relationship. You might have a good relationship, but you'll never have a godly relationship because unless Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, it will always be outside of your reach. But today, Jesus can be Lord of your life. The greatest, most powerful relationship I have today in my life is my relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit leads me and guides me every day, and I'm just telling you, it's the greatest thing on the planet. And it makes every other relationship I have work. So if you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Keith, I don't know Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. I know about Him, but I don't know Him. I don't have a relationship with God, and today I want to be saved. Today I want to ask Him to be my Lord and my Savior. I want to follow Him and commit my life to Him today. And I want to enter into a relationship with Jesus. If that's you this morning, I want you to be bold enough to stand up just right where you're at and say, today I want to pray and accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. Today I want to pray and accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. God bless those that are standing. I'm going to give you just another moment if you want to stand. I want to have a personal relationship with Jesus today. I want to have a personal relationship with Jesus today. I want to tell you heaven and hell depends on this relationship. Joy and sorrow depend on natural relationships, but heaven and hell depend on this relationship. If you're not right with God when you die, you will spend eternity separated from Him. And that won't be the result of God's judgment. That'll be the result of your choice. Because if you choose to reject Him here on planet Earth, and you choose to spend eternity without Him in a place called hell. And that'll be your choice. And God will uphold the verdict of your own decision. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor Keith, I want to join those that have stood this morning. I want to stand. I want to accept Christ. We're about to pray. This is your moment right now. If you're standing, let's just pray together. I want everybody to pray with me here in this room. Let's pray it out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died for my sins, rose again on the third day, you today. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I surrender my life to your Lordship, to your leadership, and I receive your love, your forgiveness, your spirit, and your grace. I confess today that I am a child of God. I am a part of your family. And I have a brand new relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord praise. Amen. Amen. If you stood and prayed that prayer, we want to congratulate you today. We love you, and hopefully our ushers put a packet in your hand to help you take those next steps. I want to encourage you today. Let's evaluate our relationships. Let's make wise decisions, and let's enjoy the fruit that God has to give us. Amen? God bless you today. You're dismissed. Have a great day in the Lord.